You know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Talk about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I am your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the show where we take a year and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. Today we're recording a solo episode. So that means, Dylan, you got to be the one to pick today. I got to pick. Yeah. You gave me a year. I looked at it. I said, hmm... How about that? No. Someone might pick that. Uh... <laughs> yeah, that is our like methodology sometimes. It's like, well, a future guest might pick that. So let's pick something a little less important. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, better leave that for someone else. <laughs> We're spiting our own listenership to uh, talk about more obscure records. <laughs> this one's not that obscure. Is it, though? I think we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, Head over to our Patreon. For $1, you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio. This week, we just recorded a News of the World, where we talk about some of the news stories that happened, some album releases, some what we've been watching. Dylan recounts his little trip he just took recently. So, a little bit of everything there. We call that, uh, we didn't plan in advance. Here's your home. Here's your Patreon. (laughs) We don't have time to prep. Yep. And we already did the chart. Yeah, we've already done the chart for that one. So, (laughs) fun little episode. The $1, you get access to all of it. Every one we've done, what did I say last? We've done like 50 plus of these. You also get access to the new release Friday audio that I do every week where I pick five records that came out that day. I try and keep it to that day unless it's like a slim week and uh, tell you what I liked and what's worth checking out. You also get access to uh, the Moon Pies for Misfits, where I try drinks primarily, some snacks, and uh, review them. I got another. I just put up the Mountain Dew Baja Blast Gold, and uh, I have the Mango one ready to go. I just need to upload it. But after that, I need to find some new drinks. You seen any weird ones lately? No, I'm not seeing anything that I want to try anywhere. Yeah. It's very frustrating. Most gas stations like now devote most of their shelf space to energy drinks. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like so anything weird doesn't show up. You get like, I mean, there's like four flavors of Mountain Dew usually. And then like four rows of Coke and Pepsi, just regular Coke and Pepsi and Diet Coke and Pepsi. It's like, you don't need this many. (laughs) (laughs) Give us some selection. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I go in, and I'm so frequently annoyed at how small the selection is at most places now. It's like, you used to carry everything, and now you're like... Two huh. rows of Dr. Pepper. Yeah. Nobody needs that. <laughs> uh, Dylan and his anti-Dr. Pepper stance, where he got some pushback. Uh, okay, the immediate response was, I got ratioed pretty hard. <laughs> um, everyone was like totally wrong just hitting getting just getting replies but i did get 
vindicated in the likes, I will say. Uh, a couple <laughs> of people retweeted it. One of my most popular tweets, um, like in the 20s as far as like likes, I think, or something like that. So uh, any of people agree it's a bad soda. Um, okay, so I don't I didn't drink regular Dr. Pepper, but when I switched to diet sodas, I was like, hey, I like diet Dr. Pepper. How did that happen? I didn't really care. I didn't care about regular Dr. Pepper before. Is it because the diet options are limited? And I'm just like, hey, it's a variety. I've always heard diet, diet Dr. Pepper talked about as its own thing. It's there's something else going on. I don't know if those flavors just work better with the artificial sugar, maybe, or what it is. Maybe, maybe because there's like twenty something other flavors in it. Yeah, uh, it distracts from the aspartame flavor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it could be that. Yeah, it, maybe it just does a better job of hiding the dietness of it versus. Uh, it's it's the chai uh, latte of <laughs> of Dr Pepper of sodas. <laughs> Strong. Uh, I don't. I will drink a diet Coke, but a Coke Zero, Coke Z's. That's my go-to. Um, God, but Pepsi, Diet Pepsi, and Pepsi Zero. Ugh, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. I do like some uh, a Diet Sun Drop. Is pretty nice. Diet Cheerwine, of course. Diet Cheerwine also being its own thing. It is It is different. It is distinct from Cheerwine. Yeah. But yeah. They've also changed it to Cheerwine Zero, and it's not as good as Diet Cheerwine was. It's disappointing. We need the carcinogens. That's what, <laughs> that's what doc, diet sodas need. Yeah, because the diet ones have aspartame in them. The Zeros have like sodium benzoate or something like that. <laughs> like monk fruit. <laughs> yeah but uh so if you want to see video or uh, vi- watch videos of me tasting shit uh head over to the patreon you get all that too uh you can get uh if you go to the ten dollar tier you get to actually select what album we talk about that month so that one will work where you just uh sign up for ten dollars for one month and then immediately unsubscribe and then uh you get an album that we talk about unless you want like two in a row or something like that you can keep it for a while but all that's on patreon.com slash punklottopod. We're on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at punklottopod, email address punklottopod at gmail.com, and a voicemail line, which is 202-688-PUNK, and we actually have a voicemail. So, I'm going to play this here, and we're going to listen to this familiar, this familiar voice. Hey, it's Andy, Andy Sell, from the... Mountain Goats Sunset Tree episode, and I just wanted to tell you that uh, you, in a, I think it was the Red Medicine episode, uh, you started talking about songs where the singer laughs and it, how rare that is and how special it is, and I totally agree. And there's a Hungarian metalcore band called Newborn that put out a split with catharsis on crime think in like i don't know 1999 or something like they're 2001 and there's a song in there called dead poets society and the three songs that newborn contributed to this split have always been like i love it so much i bought their discography i love it i, I listen to it until the cd is unlistenable now and but the song Dead Poets Society, the singer from Newborn starts laughing this like maniacal laugh at one point during the ha 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 
and it's my favorite thing, and it's always stood out to me because I can't honestly can't think of any other songs like it where the singer laughs, and it's always been like a very special thing to me. And anyway, you just made me think of it, and I just wanted to submit that for your approval. Another song where they laugh, and it's uh, it's a metalcore song, and it rules. And it's sad that Newborn didn't put out more. Okay, that's it for me. Bye. Thank you, Andy. Do you know Newborn? No, I don't. Do you know that Catharsis split? I might know it if I look at the album cover. I think that's where Arsonist Prayer comes from, which is like that gigantic Catharsis song. Because it's like three Newborn tracks and like one Catharsis song, I think is how it is. I want to, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put that Newborn song here, or at least maybe the clip of the laughing, just so you can hear what it sounds like right here in the in the show yeah it got me thinking i was like what else? Who else has like laughter in songs? Like that cathars uh the, the Fugazi one was like the big one. The only other thing I could think of is like like in Liar by the Rollins band, he does like the ha 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 yeah. hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> you know, the during the liar part. Um there's gotta be more though. Like there has to be more. I could probably think of some where like there's like laughter in the middle. I think there are some A C D C songs. With some <laughs> laughter in them. I don't know if it's like just a laugh. Uh, Alice Cooper's definitely done it a few times. School's out. There's, that's a notable um, laughing in the song, but he's got a couple of songs. Oh, Ozzy, I guess he has some. Is this laughter or crazy train, right? Um, Yeah, what else? There's that uh, They're Coming to Take Me Away song. Yeah. Fashion <laughs> Zombies by the Aquabats. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like there might be a couple Aquabats songs with some laughing in them. I could see ska bands having a few. I'm just looking at a list on Rate Your Music called Songs with Laughing in Them. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hot Pants Explosion by the B-52s. Oh, well, like, Love Shack is like a full-on party in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, that's... Uh, they do that in um, Sherry Darling by Springsteen. Yeah, there's quite a few Sabbath ones that supposedly have <laughs> laughing in them. Which, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, it is. It's a funny thing. Like when you hear it a song, it is always it always feels special. Oh yeah, of course. I don't know why I didn't think of this one. Wham bam by Buck Owens. Wham bam. Thank you, ma'am. I'm trying to think of where the laugh is. Um, yeah, this article has like man, there's a lot of songs in here. A couple Queen songs have it. She Bop by Cindy Lauper. <laughs> oh, um, two Dead Kennedys. Uh, Soup is good food. <laughs> uh, and a growing boy needs his lunch i guess too there's also a difference between like the like staged haha like le- it's in the lyrics haha yeah versus just the like the fugazi one feels like just a natural like he just laughed in the yeah. recording of that line yeah. <laughs> which makes you wonder does he laugh in the live versions too i would be surprised if he didn't you know like he cut it and it was just like an ad lib almost um yeah going off of the it's a lyric in the song. It's like it's it's a musical aspect of the song Peekaboo by Devo. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, right. Ha ha ha. Or, or Flipper. Yeah. <laughs> ha ha ha. Yeah, by Flipper. Yeah, of course. Um, 
this 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 thing said uh, Saint Vitus has two, and the Lost Feeling and the War Starter. I could see that, but that comes from Doom too. You know, so that's like a yeah. That could even just be a ha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is a single. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> Hungry like a wolf. Is there a laugh in Hungry like the wolf in the lyrics, or is someone laughing in in the background in that song? Not really showing up in the lyrics. So I think I think maybe someone just laughs in the song. Well, there's also like that Stavesacre song that's on what Collective, where like they start the song and he hits that like rattlesnake and starts laughing. And he just starts laughing because it was unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, there's laughter in that. Don't impress me much. There is because it's the part where she's talking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That don't impress me much. Um, yeah, yeah, that's it's a, a fun little. There are numerous insane clown posse songs uh, with laughing in them. One of these days, I'm going to be a juggler. Just a comp. Just we'll you just wait. That one together. I just got to listen to a ICP record that I like, or just a ICP record. See, I don't know if their music is good enough to actually make you a fan. That's the thing. I should uh, do the one like. Remember, they had like a, a, a like a major record that actually had like radio play you remember that one yeah like, they were like it was like a double album too it was like released same day it's like the um the spiral on the cover yeah with the eyeballs floating there was like a major label release that like got probably bit based off of new metal being popular i should try like the most high budget stuff to see if uh, here's a couple more that should have been obvious to me. I should have remembered these. Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. She she laughs at the end of the song. She just, just starts laughing. Your Love is My Drug. Uh, actually, quite a few Kesha songs have laughter in them, but Your Love is My Drug <laughs> is the one that comes to mind where she's laughing at the end. She's like, I like your beard. <laughs> and that's almost a different thing, too, though. You know? The laugh outro, yeah. Yeah, it's like, I'm sure Sheryl Crow has some of those, too, even, you know? What about you, listeners? Uh, tell us. Tell us uh, your favorite song with, like, laughter in the middle of it. Because uh, it's... Call us and leave us a message. That is uh, 202-688-PUNK. And uh, we'll play it on the show. We'll talk about it again. Because that's fun. Well, that's all the business out of the way. How about we talk about some music? All right. So, uh, premise of the show. Assign a year. Pick an album. So, I gave you the year 1980 talk about and of course like usual let's talk about some albums you almost selected because you actually had a couple options that you sent me like you were look you were gonna do you know yeah there were i was trying to i need to look at what i sent you to remember what i most what i seriously considered um i will say though we have covered 1980 uh two times once before and that would be the first time was the psychedelic furs and teen idols episode we did with Anne Lepore. And then the other one we did was the cramps songs. The Lord taught us with Alicia from Ganser. And then we posted a freebie. That's right. So in our Patreon, we did a, a, a starting five where we talked about 1980 and we posted that a freebie one in the main feed too. So we have talked about 1980 in the past. Yeah. And- it seems like we've talked about this record or this year more than we have, but doing the starting five, definitely. Um, we would have talked about 10 records. So um, I was I was looking at the year and I was trying to pick something. I wanted to pick something that felt significant to the year. So like I consider the first DOA record 
because it is their first record uh that year i've heard some stuff from it and it's it sounds pretty good i haven't listened to the whole record but uh i kind of i kind of skipped that one just because i figured it was it's not the uk 81 record so it's not the more the more important doa record to talk about it's a little bit more from what i've heard of it it's a little bit more 77 punk sounding than what doa would become so kind of passed on that one aren't doa like an american hardcore band though no they're they're from um, like maybe they're, oh, canadian. they're canadian they're canadian why are they listed as a uk i was i was confused by that i was like what they're the band that did the record with jello <laughs> they're like vancouver maybe i'm trying to find the record there it is something to change something better change unless i'm thinking of a different record <laughs> and i said doa they have a record called hardcore 81 yeah i guess that was the confusion why i was thinking of them as a as a a uk 81 isn't it uk 82 yeah it is uk 82 <laughs> who's the uk 82 band the exploited <laughs> you had the wrong GBH. band gbh um, <laughs> discharge yeah okay well maybe we should have just done that doa record i don't know <laughs> clearly i know nothing about them um i mean it's not the doa record apparently it's like the third most popular the most no. popular being the jello one yeah and hardcore 81 and then this one so yeah i was like confused when you were saying uk 81 i'm like what they're they're a hardcore band from here well canada but <laughs> learning things on the air yeah um and now we're gonna get yelled at for all they do is read wikipedia sorry i was reading our old negative reviews the other day so that got stuck in my head these stupid idiots don't know doa <laughs> that is always the type of band that we have facts wrong about that people yell at us about yeah they don't know mdc these idiots it's like they're like 40 mdc records and they change their name on every record the first wipers record we've talked about the wipers a lot and again that's one that someone else might pick um, and we've done a wipers record before on the show true i mean it was a later one like not one of the more well-known ones but yeah like that wipers record i could see a guest choosing that one the first feelies record uh it's kind of the same way it's a significant one that someone else might pick really almost went with killing joke i was kind of pushing for killing joke mainly because my main takeaway was i don't know shit about killing joke like i literally know nothing about killing joke i thought they were tied to ministry somehow i mean I they're definitely they like influential on industrial bands yeah no that i mean they have they sort of have some connection with ministry um but i don't know in what way is it there's been several members of killing joke and obviously several members of ministry so i don't know if it's a later connection maybe maybe it's just a matter of some some minute killing joke members have played on ministry records is that a thing the hard the hard thing about this we need to go to that band to band website (laughs) and use that one to figure out what the connection is because I'm just doing that thing where you're like, you read a bunch of names and then like go to the other page and see if you can remember any of those names. Let's do it. Let's go to Band to Band. Band to Band used to be a really great website that I think no one has updated in years. Paul Raven, who played bass in Killing Joke from 82 to 87, 90 to 91, and 2003 to 2007, played with Ministry at some point, but I'm not even seeing his name Oh, here we go. 2005 to 2007. So that was just a fill-in. Yeah. Um, 
very 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 close to picking that one because i'm kind of like in the dark on that band too like i've heard stuff i know they're important i've seen this album cover many times it's like this mm. one and like fire dances and brighter than a thousand suns i know those album covers really well i've seen them a lot and killing joke kind of go dark wave and like a little more industrial later i think i i almost uh considered Nikki suddening you again uh, <laughs> with that swell maps record but is it I, instrumental i don't think it's instrumental but um oh. <laughs> a lot of a lot of experimentation and noise uh oh. figured we were gonna get into another flipper uh <laughs> situation <laughs> yeah it, it was funny like looking at the list of options i was like well there's a lot of stuff we've talked about already from this year and maybe it's just because we've just done them on, like, other shows, like, other, like, things. Like, you know, we're not going to do that Remain in Light record because we literally just did a Talking Heads record. And, you know, it's Remain in Light, you know. We've said a lot of things about Remain in Light on the show in the past that I don't think it'll be interesting for just you and I to talk about that record. Yeah. I think if someone else wanted to come on and pick that record, we could say a lot of things about it. Considered Nobody's Heroes as well. Uh, by Stiff Little Fingers. And another one. They're another band that I feel like we've talked about them a lot between, like, Patreon mainly. That's what we've talked about them the most. I would like a guest to pick that record at some point in the future. I mean, I love Stiff Little Fingers. That Devo record would be another one. Freedom of Choice. You know, we've talked about Kaleidoscope by Susie and the Banshees when we did the uh, Best Worst Over Under on Susie and the Banshees. Like, you've talked about... You've definitely talked about uh, Sound Effects by The Jam end of the century by the ramones that would be a fun one to actually like devote an episode to though just because of how the production is on that record like that's the notable thing about that album wild planets my favorite b52's record came out that year and then a little connection to uh the record we're talking about today but it's it's one of those years that kind of um falls off there's interesting stuff like that stiv bader's record is from what i've heard from it is good but it's really obscure and what am I going to say about it? It's good. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's, I guess, Dev, there's something to talk about him. Mm-hmm. But that's a conversation maybe that's better to have in the context of the Dead Boys. Yeah. And that that was, there's stuff like that. There's other, there's other records on here that I was just like, am I, you know, are we going to go song by song on Sandinista? <laughs> uh, yeah. I like that Soft Boys record, but... I really don't know how much I could actually say about it. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that, like... Like, there's two orchestral maneuvers in the Dark Records, but it's, like, not the records by them. And I did consider them... I started the self-titled record, and I was like, I am not going to be able to talk about this. Like, I started <laughs> yeah. listening to the first song, and I was like, I, I'm not going to have anything to say on this. I don't think it's bad, but it's not interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a chance you could pick something that you're just, like, totally unfamiliar with, too, and just be like, well, that was uh, not a wise choice, you know? I'd be curious what, like, there's some stuff on here that I am I would like to listen to just to see what it's about. Like, Poison Girls, like, that record's called Chappaquiddick Bridge, so that's, uh, that's a Ted Kennedy reference there, I think. Uh <laughs> But they're like a UK anarcho-punk band with like crass connections. But I think they'd be interesting to talk about. There's, uh, let's see what else we got. 
There's like a Plasmatics record. There's another Anarcho-Punk, Androids of Moo. I guess Anarcho-Punk was like a thing in 1980, pretty strongly. There's the Canadian Subhumans. Like, there's all this stuff that I'll be like, that'd be interesting. That'd be in- There's Chipmunk Punk. We could have done that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it also like kind of falls off a cliff right, right away. Like, we got a real late Runaways record, Flaming Schoolgirls. A Sham 69 album, you know, like the type of bands that... I don't know that anybody's going to care that we cover. But also, I hate to say this, but is anybody going to care what we're covering today? We'll see. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um, well, let's let's talk about it then. So, you selected 1980, and we are talking about Pylon and their album, Gyrate. They formed in 1979. They were a new wave slash post-punk band from Athens, Georgia. This is the band's first full-length album. They only released a 7-inch single prior called Cool slash Dub earlier in 1980. This was released November 1980 on DB Records. And the personnel in this album is Vanessa Briscoe Hay, credited as Vanessa Ellison on the record, on vocals, Randy Bewley on guitar, Michael... Lachowski on bass and Curtis Crow on drums. The album was produced by Bruce Baxter, Kevin Dunn, as well as the rest of the band. And so TV Records, I was kind of curious about that label. I wasn't super sure what they had done. Their most famous thing prior to this was uh, the B-52's Rock Lobster 52 Girls single. They would release a bunch more pylon material, but nothing else that I was like, oh yeah, I gotta mention that. Like, I looked at all those bands and I was like, I might know the name The Coolies, but I don't know like what anything else sounds like on this label. So, but yeah, a little small label based out of Atlanta. So Pylon, so they formed in the University of Georgia where they were all enrolled as art students. So they're pulling the classic art students turn musicians thing. And the people asked them if they got their name from the William Faulkner novel Pylon. <laughs> and they said, no. It's just named after traffic cones, <laughs> which yeah. I would also assume it's traffic cones before a book that I've never heard of. Like, I, I did not know William Faulkner had a book called Pylon. They also didn't know that until people started asking them that. So, Is it because... Is that a weird word for Faulkner to be using for a book? I, I feel know. like it might be. It's Yeah, it is an odd... Because his books are like the sound and the fury, and as I lie, as I lay dying, and yeah, <laughs> Absalom, Absalom, uh, yeah. Is it because he was southern that people thought that they were like making oh, a reference? Maybe I don't. That's weird. It is. It's just very weird. It's like, yeah. 
And they they cited their influences as Cabaret, Voltaire, Suicide, the No New York Comp, and the Eraserhead soundtrack <laughs> as their influences. So. And they don't sound like any of those. Like the Suicide record. That's the closest. But yeah. even then, they don't sound that much like Suicide. No. <laughs> um, I got a couple more things, so we'll save that for later. But first things first, why'd you pick this album? Well, I was just curious about them. Uh, I actually listened to the record Chomp earlier this year, and they're just in, they're an Athens band, which I felt like that was a significant corner of really early punk and alternative music that we have barely touched on uh, on this show. So I felt like it was worth looking at that scene, which doesn't really extend much further past Pylon. Um <laughs> I mean, it does beyond the you know the popular the ones that everyone knows, but it was kind of just REM kept going, uh, B52s. But I figured you know I figured it was it was significant, female fronted band in the early '80s, so that was kind of interesting as well. Would be I thought would be interesting to look at this band, or and yeah, I just like what I've heard of them, so I figured I would start with their first. Listen to their first record. I didn't start with their first record, but uh, listen to it and see how it compares. Yeah, when when selecting albums on the show, you can go a couple routes. You can go with the more obscure choice. You can go with something you adore. You can go with something that you like, kind of know, or you're just like, I wonder what that's about. So like, you went with the, uh, I wonder what that deal with that one is route. Yeah, you know, we've done records on this show where it's like, oh, I've listened to this record a million times. And it's really easy to accidentally paint yourself into a corner where you're like, I don't know what to say about this other than I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the thing that you love about it is not like an interesting story. It's like, I just really like listening to it. (laughs) Yeah. And that can be hard to talk about. Yeah. Unless you've got like an actual like connection, like unless you want to go down the personal route and talk about like, oh, what this band means to you and what point and when you found them and all that kind of stuff. Like. It does it a record you love turns into the the Chris Farley show where you're just like and um I liked it and you know you're just like it's good a bunch of times for an hour and a half and uh you run out of topics on those so it's more to me I guess when it's just a solo it might be a little bit more interesting to talk about something that you're a little less familiar with but then you didn't want to go like complete like well let's talk about this this cabaret voltaire record <laughs> you know, like there was one this year in 1980 you knew who a pylon was and what it sounds like so but you don't have a connection to it personally so that makes it a little you gotta dig a little more so i also a very important factor in deciding on this one i looked them up and i sent you that picture the band photo that band photo because i was like they look cool <laughs> <laughs> like they look cool without being freaks like they look like normal people in a band and being normal people in a band looks really cool to me normies in bands they're made cool by being in a band they do look normal though except for that guy what's he wearing like a vest like an army vest with pockets little pouches or is it like a, a fishing jacket? Like yeah, it a fishing does kind of look like a fishing jacket. Fishing <laughs> vest, yeah. But his hat and glasses combo, he could be wearing that in 2022 at an emo show right now. Yeah, they look like a band you could see right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Like they're yeah, dressed uh, like they're dressed up a little. You know, they're dressed cool, but the, it's they're dressed cool in the way that like someone who's just like going to art school in <laughs> Georgia would dress cool. Like they're not a big freak like in, you know, a major city. They have to like live in Georgia. <laughs> Though, okay, we can talk about Athens, Georgia for a minute. So I've always been curious about Athens, Georgia. I get the feeling it's like a it's a college town. Uh, it's kind of arty, I think. If that that's the feeling I get from it. It feels like the Asheville of Georgia or the uh, the Portland of Georgia, like that kind of thing. Like it's potentially the the cool town, the, where your arty types and your hippie types, and because there's a there is you said that like there's not a lot that goes past Athens and REM and B52s, but like that's not that's not exactly true. Vic Chestnut was from there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It goes further to into like newer stuff. I think there's like a lot of metal bands that came from there too. Like Mastodon and Black Tusk from Athens as well. Um, Baroness might have been. Are they an Athens Yeah, band? I think Baroness too. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a music town. Like it, it maintains a music town. They were from Savannah. Um, but yeah. Oh, Georgia. Savannah. You're right. That's right. But there, there, are, there are others. There's like a, uh, a in twenty twenty. There's like a new walk, city walk or something that's like music hall of fame, and it's got like everybody in it, like all the ones we mentioned already, and pylons in there, and a bunch more too. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a scene, and it I think it I think the Athens scene of B fifty two's REM like that concentrated little time period of of alternative music in the late 70s and early 80s is why there's that stuff later but it's not as focused i mean other than kind of like the metal scene harvey milk is from athens yeah yeah i've actually got that pulled up right now too matthew sweet uh the wigs of montreal it's stuff you don't panic it's it's stuff you don't yeah right it's stuff that you don't think of in association with each other yeah there's not you don't think vic chestnut and matthew sweet weren't playing the same scene (laughs) yeah that elephant six is from there too because that's like a thing too isn't that like uh it's tied in with like nutramilk hotel somehow i don't know exactly how but is nutramilk hotel a georgia band they were from louisiana oh but they're still a southern man but yeah yeah, I don't know. I've always been curious about Athens. Um, I want to know, like, I want to go there and just see what it's like. I feel like it might be a cool town to visit. But the thing is, the thing about Athens is it's small. Is it? Like, it's genuinely small. It's really almost an Atlanta suburb. It's a little bit too far away to be an Atlanta suburb. It is, and I think it is large enough to be its own significant, like, region. But it's very close to Atlanta. So it's it could only ever get so big. So it's definitely going to be a small town vibe, which that's kind of what they, you know, that's kind of what Pylon talks about, like when they started and really all of like all of those bands having a small town feel where they all knew each other, which is interesting. It's interesting to see an art punk band from a small town. You would think of an art punk band being like, from new york which the you know they were looking to new york they were obviously heavily influenced by a lot of what was happening in new york uh and i and i read a little bit like there was definitely a lot of like people going to new york 
and back. So there is a significant connection. Not quite. That was their plan. Like their plan was to get noticed and to play in New York. Like that was their goal, which I guess it was already the rule book that was like laid out by the B-52s. I don't think R.E.M. was around yet. Not quite. So it was more of a like, that's that's the move. We go to New York and play shows. And so this I read a little bit about this. So the B-52s were at the third pylon show. And like the reaction wasn't very great on the first two shows for the crowd. Uh, And then uh, Fred Schneider and Kate Pearson were there for the third show. And they just started dancing around and then like made everybody else want to dance around, too. (laughs) <laughs> and so it was just like we love you now that the b-52 say you're cool I, that's really how that felt to me <laughs> you know well fred schneider thinks it's cool we should all think it's cool but fred loved it he passed on a copy of their demo to their manager and then their manager then called pylon and offered them multiple options for opening tour slots so my guess is he was also booking other people uh and they selected opening for gang of four this <laughs> is just like uh yeah them to open for gang of four first because if you if you have anyone to compare them to gang of four is probably your your biggest and closest sounding if that makes sense yeah oh yeah this sounds very much like gang of four um and not just in the rhythmic aspects of it like not in just being like a disco disco influenced uh, you know uh, dance punk uh, band like they really had especially on this record more this record than chomp they had a similar hard edge um like a little shoutier a little more distorted guitar than like the b-52s or you know even like blondie like which they kind of got a lot of comparisons to and early on well a lot of the early comparisons too said talking heads uh like that that nervous energy of yeah. the Talking Heads, which not by 1980, but by like compared to like Talking Heads 77, like it's very much in that like that vein because Eno brought out like the funkier side of them on the later stuff. So like there's a little bit of funk to Pylon, but it it I think that just derives from it being a bass bass forward band. You you kind of wind up being a little funkier, but um 
So that's where I got that talking heads. I did get a little bit of the wipers ref, uh, in there too, because like nobody in 80 was listening to wipers. Cause I feel like wipers didn't become a th- bigger thing until later anyway. Like that's part of their history, right? Yeah. I mean, they were totally averse to doing anything that would be help them commercially. <laughs> so yeah, 1980, I don't even know how you could get a wipers record. It <laughs> came out, but yeah. I don't know who bought them or who sold them. <laughs> so I could see it's that uh, parallel paths like, you know, Pylon was not listening to the Wipers and the Wipers were not listening to Pylon. But they're, they kind of occupy a, a similar realm with just like uh, Pylon being a more new wave versus the Wipers just being more punk rock. Well, and more rockabilly influence, too. Yeah. But there's even a little... Like, if you take out the quirkiness of Devo, like maybe more like that first Devo record, it's a, it's in a, it's in a lane with that. It's a very interesting sounding record. So, had you heard this album before? I haven't heard, I hadn't heard this one. I had heard uh, Chomp, which I really yeah. enjoyed Chomp, um, which was why I really wanted to listen to this record. Because um, I, I thought that was a really fun record. So, I figured this one would be similar. Um <laughs> And this one is the one that people point to more often anyway. I mean, it is the first one, so that helps. But they didn't really keep going after Chomp either. So there's not really any other direction you can go. Um, Right, there's only three Pylon records in total. Yeah, they did reunite later a couple of times, actually. Yeah. But only put out one other record in, like, 1990. So was this record... How does it compare to Chomp? to you Does, was it what you expected from that record or is it different anyway i don't know that I, I i didn't have a huge expectation for it i figured it would be pretty similar i think i i do think i liked it more um i think that it has a harder edge i think that vanessa's vocals on this record especially are more interesting in the in the ways that she goes to more extremes uh with her voice i think it sounds really cool uh i think the raw production also lends to that edginess i would say it's a better record overall but i think they're both good i think they're both really good Hmm. like chomp chomp might have more standout singles kind of songs i I did think that listening to this record like none of the tracks themselves really stick out too significantly on their own it does really run together but in a way that i want it to so, what did you think of this album specifically? Not in comparison to Chomp, just like listening to this record as much in a vacuum as possible. To me, it does. I think. I think the thing that stands out to me the most about this record is that it takes the the roughness of Gang of Four and the esoteric artiness of the Talking Heads and puts them together where you could make like Kraftwerk, Motorik. You know, uh, Krautrock references that is far more interesting and engaging to me than almost any Krautrock record I've ever heard. Like, <laughs> to me, this record does what Krautrock is supposed to do, where it's like, yeah, it's just one beat for 30 minutes. It's like listening to a, a I sent you a track from a Marauder uh, record. Yeah. Um, it's like listening to that record. Like I listened to that record and I, and I was like, 
Yes. Just segue nonstop every song into the next one, which this record doesn't really do that, but it has that feeling of like, you don't really pay attention to where the songs end and begin. They do, but it's not important. You're just, you're just plugged in for the ride. And I think that's what I really enjoyed the most about this record. It, it has its dips and valleys as far as like what else it does sonically. But the most important thing is that you're just like groove the whole time. It's interesting. We have kind of differing experiences with this record then, because I actually feel the separation of each track and like, oh, yeah, there's a dip. Oh, new start. Here we go. Uh, how's this one going to start? Like, I, I've definitely like noticed when something ends and the next one begins and it's it doesn't feel like a continuation of a sound there. OK, maybe once you get into the middle of the tracks, there's some similarity there, but they all have like unique intros to me that or like here's the I'm setting the tempo for this song it's kind of like how I I feel with each of these songs yeah I can see that I mean I can maybe that kind of plays into the the peaks and valleys for me yeah yeah it's the thing uh, so I looking at the album art it's just very kind of like what do you call it blueprint uh schematic looking kind of album cover uh, it looks like a Kraftwerk record. It does look like a Kraftwerk record. Like, Kraftwerk was a thing that I was thinking of when I was looking at the artwork and listening to the music a little bit, but it was... I was like, no, this is like, got a harder edge than Kraftwerk. But I definitely... It was a, a, a band that popped in my head. Yeah, well, there's no synthesizers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a raw version of... it. You know, it's funny. It's a record that has no synthesizers, but it feels like it should. Like, listening to it, it feels like there are synthesizers on the record, even though there's no synthesizers on the record. So, the, it has a very, like, me, it's mechanical? You think mechanical is a good way to describe their sound? But not really, because there's a groove. There's a, there's a groove that feels very danceable, that is, to me, very human. Um, yeah. Mechanical and texture and tone. Mm-hmm. For sure. Like, that's that Gang of Four thing of just, like, using the guitar in a way that is not normal or appropriate for guitar. <laughs> Playing a guitar almost like a piano. Um, <laughs> and just, like, really clunky and choppy. But no, the rhythm of of the songs is still very... It's still dance music. Yeah, it is. It is very dancey. Because I was definitely, like, nodding along, like... Maybe not with the first track. I feel like the first track is one of the less danceable ones. But, like, track two and beyond, I definitely was grooving to the entire record. Like, which, yeah, dancey in the way. I guess who the bass and the drum are probably the ones who are setting that. They're laying down the tracks. Like, here's the groove, and this is what we're going to lay on for the whole song. Groove along to it. Like, it, like it has a dance beat. But the guitar is doing, like, kind of whatever it wants. Like, it's... An interesting guitar type. Changes sounds a couple times on the album, but like, let's see. I, I usually take my track notes. I want to see if I have anything that like I specifically like. The guitars are light in a lot of places too. Like they're doing that Talking Heads, uh, Psycho Killer kind of light guitar thing. Oh, I will say though, there's a weird kind of uh, on the song Precaution has this weird like Chet Baker Les Paul kind of guitar part to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. What you mean. It's like this weird, like, bleep, 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 like that kind of like <laughs> the way that they played guitar in a way that didn't sound like anybody else. Uh, no, There's... I guess there are some different things, though. Like the weather radio has that uh, delay that like the edge, I think, definitely was aware of. 
yeah, right on the moon. It's definitely that echo and the Bunnymen U2 delay sound. Yeah. But to me, the biggest standout of the whole record and like the, the unexpected element of the band is Vanessa's vocals. Like I she didn't come so cool. <laughs> I didn't come into this record expecting a like a col- co- combination of Patti Smith and Lux Interior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she's a wild singer. Recruited into the band as a non-musician. She yeah. had no previous music experience. She didn't play any instruments uh, in the band. Uh, and so she was like, I don't I don't consider myself a musician. And I think that's where it works. Like it's she's not coming at it from the perspective of a singer. She's coming from at it from the perspective of an artist. Yeah, they just liked her artwork and they asked her to play to be in the band. She's like, I what? I'm not a musician in any way. <laughs> and they're like, that's cool. Which to me goes, yeah, you, you art school weirdos. You were just like, yeah, it's about the notes you don't play. Like that kind of like, <laughs> oh, it's great if we don't know how to play our instruments. <laughs> it's really, it's really interesting. They don't, I haven't found any, I haven't read any interviews where they talk about how they're, art majors and how like the art world influenced what they did as musicians um there's this npr article uh where they are they talk to all the members of the band um well uh, all of the surviving members because i think this was um this article was after randall died Mm -hmm. um which he passed away in 2009 Uh, but they talked to everyone else from the band and they're so musically literate. Like, they were informed by so much stuff. And, like, we've name-dropped so many different bands on here, but they name even more in this. <laughs> like, they mention all of those bands that we've mentioned, but then they're also talking about, like, oh, yeah, we were... I was listening to, you know, I was listening to Iggy Pop's Raw Power, and, oh, we were listening to Ramones and Pure Ubu and... Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello and Mekons and Stranglers. Like they really just let list like 40 bands in here. Um, but I, I think something that's so telling about the sound of this band, Vanessa says something about, she's talking about when they started and how like this dividing line of 76 to 77. And she was like, you would go to 
Hera in New York where we first played and the DJ would play Jimmy Cliff, the harder they come. And then you would hear Gang of Four, which is, yeah, everything that I'm hearing on this record. <laughs> it's, this, pulled, it's this groove that's getting chopped up. It's like it, the groove is being dissected yeah. and analyzed. And they're like, oh, let's study this groove for a song. And like that's the focus of the song. I pulled up some live footage of them, too, and they look really fun live. Yeah, like the lead singer, she's just like dancing the whole. She's pogoing, dancing the whole time when she's not singing. Um, the I think it's like the guitar player. I think uh, he's like he literally just like spins around in circles, like pogoing, like the whole time. Like they're definitely had a lot of live fun energy live that was just like I don't know. It's very cool to see. It's very bouncy, which it, it's you don't think of like this is going to be a, a high energy live band because it, it's not a high energy. It's not a high energy record to me. I would say ultimately the overall like pace is kind of mid tempo for most of the record. There are some moments that are faster than others, but like like I said earlier, it's like they they set the track for a speed and they just maintain that for the most part. Unless they then start to like they will do some um I don't know, like some weirder like uh breakdowns in songs and do some interesting different stuff. Like Danger's got some like is that slide? I guess it could be more like bluesy kind of bar chords that are sl- sliding. Or that song also sounds like it has like a whistle in it too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so it's just blowing a whistle. But yeah, interesting. It's 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 mechanical without being cold. It's well, yeah, and it's it's like learned and like it's smart without being off-putting and austere. Like they're knowledgeable. And informed by like a lot of different bands and a lot of different sounds and a lot of things that they want to do. And they have this like artistic like aura, but they're also like fun. Like they seem like they're just chill people who wanted to make fun music and you could hang out with them. They weren't like total art gonzo weirdos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're normal. (laughs) They weren't going to look down on anyone. And maybe that just comes from being being a small town art kid yeah i don't know like they went to school in university of georgia like i don't know how university of georgia in athens too because like there's multiple how um southern they are like are they are they from the south individually or is this one of those things where they kind of just i feel like you wouldn't go to that school if you were not from at least the south i don't think anybody's traveling you know I'm from the Midwest, and I went to school in Georgia. Um, Randall Bewley, uh, guitarist, was born in Bradenton, Florida. Uh, okay. And lived in Sarasota, lived in the, lived in D.C., lived in Atlanta growing up. Yeah. Near Atlanta growing up. Um, so definitely Southern, definitely making the local college choice. Curtis Crow was born in Marietta. So, yeah. again, same area. Vanessa... Not seeing where she was born. I don't know. No, born in Atlanta. Okay. Yep. Went to high school in Dacula. So again, all Atlanta area people. Yeah. Atlanta, Florida. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Michael Michael was born in Norfolk, Virginia. Okay. So they're all Southerners. So that might be the thing that makes them seem more normal than they are too. Because it's like, look, my beliefs and the things that I'm into already make me a weirdo <laughs> in the South. So I'm not going to push it. <laughs> 
and also dress like a weirdo. <laughs> and I can't so the, really, I can't really put on airs in, you know, because I'm already at a disadvantage. If I go to any other artsy place, they're going to be like, <laughs> oh, well, you're from the South. You're just a hick. You don't know anything. Yeah. So there's I'm, someone above you. You have that sense going into <laughs> art as being like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have this background. Which I'm really now looking for. I really like the idea of some or one of them having like a slight Southern accent or just like you hear their accent on some words, maybe that like gives it away. You know, the, oh, you're from Georgia. <laughs> yeah, it's the narrow vowel sound or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in North Carolina my entire life, and I have people tell me, it's like, you're the least Southern person I've ever heard, you know. People from out of state, you know, too. It's like, that's from reading. <laughs> it's funny that people say that, but then I'll, I'll hear recordings of my voice, and I'm like, oh. How y'all run- doing over there? <laughs> our, our running joke has always been, don't touch, don't drink the water. <laughs> of... Hearing our voices recorded the first time we tried to record a podcast, and we're like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> my wife!" <laughs> yeah, definitely, we have southern accents. <laughs> it's just they're faint compared to everyone else's. But yeah, it's um interesting. So I, I get a little bit of that connection of being like, "All right, I can't can't stand out too much," <laughs> because uh, it'd become more dangerous if like some of my <laughs> opinions or feelings were more public and uh than they are like i i've i said before that i think that uh i want very few people i work with to know anything about me like i'd say i want a majority of the people i work with to know almost nothing about me except for the ones that i consider friends you know the ones that i let know anything about me but so an interesting thing about them though is that so they yeah they 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 do these tours, so they wind up touring with the B-52s, Mission of Burma, which that would be awesome. <sighs> and I was thinking about Mission of Burma a few minutes ago. Like, yeah. not an obvious connection, but a lot of what I love about Mission of Burma, they do on yeah. this record. It's They manage to make these weird sounds that I'm like, how did they do that? And like Mission <laughs> of Burma, like I know there's like the whole tape manipulation part of their sound, which... Yeah. I don't think is going on here maybe a little bit but is not like a significant there's not a member of the band who does tape manipulation yeah if you read the credits of the record it doesn't say that anybody's doing that on the record but yeah it is the same like this song that's a mission of burma kind of do that like this song starts and then it kind of slams you against a wall for like two minutes and then it stops and it's just like very driving and texturally dense Mm -hmm. and complex it is funny that like they play this music but they also seem very unpunk in general like they don't seem like they are connected to a punk scene of any kind whatsoever i mean they're probably listening to punk stuff but like because the athens scene is what it is there's not a big punk scene which makes them different from like say a band like the uh the proletariat who i talked about on our patreon who are like a boston post-punk band at like this same time that they were doing stuff and they feel like hardcore punk guys playing post-punk in boston mission of burma i kind of get the feeling that they're they were from the punk scene where were they from they're california band right no aren't they from like the middle they're from boston too oh okay see okay yeah that actually 
that makes the proletariat make a lot more sense too. So there's that. Um, and then like the like the California postpunk stuff that's going on around this point, not extensively. I think hardcore is really taking off in '80. Um, but there's weird. There was the weirder, artier punk scene that was happening in the '70s there. But other than that, it's like yeah, you're in LA. That's a scene of punks. You're in New York. That's a scene of punks. Boston punks, like UK, London punks. Pylon is coming out of a scene that's probably not punk heavy. No. And I mean, the South was really soft for punk. Yeah. Anyway. Hard to gain traction. So, it, yeah, they, they're they a band that I think comes at punk. What people, when people say like punk is an attitude or it's like a creative, mm-hmm. you know, perspective, I think that they come at it and exemplify it in a way that is unburdened by the tribal mm-hmm. militant aspects of punk, of being, oh, well, I'm. I'm a punk. Mm-hmm. I'm a punk conscript. I have a uniform. I listen to these bands and I act this way at shows. Yeah. Which, Which is always, it's really fascinating. I always love hearing those bands from this time period where it's like, it's definitely punk. Like it's rhythmically, sonically punk, but it's not towing a line. They do the, like, you know, the Minutemen, like they weren't really part of the punk scene before they started making music. You know, they were just like two kids who grew up together and then they had some friends and they liked the clash and like Blue Oyster Cult and just in wire. And we're just like making music based off what they liked. And they weren't following the traditional like, here's the punks, you know, these are the clothes we're allowed to wear this season. Yeah. Crawl around on the floor like Darby Crash. Yeah. 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 See, they're not doing that L.A. snotty punk thing. They're not doing the D.C. everybody follow what Minor Threat's doing, you know, thing. Which to me is also a lot more interesting. I mean, I I love Minor Threat and I love those scenes in Black Flag and all those bands. But, like, I'm always more intrigued by the band who, like, cropped up somewhere where it's just like, hey, here we are. We did a thing. I have these records that I really like and I have some instruments and we kind of did this like lo-fi democratic uh, creative process interpretation (laughs) of these records and songs that we like. (laughs) And it's kind of like we're not like studio musicians and we can't afford to record it well. So I guess it's punk. (laughs) So they also toured with R.E.M. and the Talking Heads which makes a lot of sense. Um, they also toured with U2 on U2's war tour, and they were received negatively hmm. on that tour. They didn't really get the reactions they wanted. It was just like, which I, I kind of get. That's If you said, if they had toured with them on Boy, yeah, probably would have been a different expectation. But yeah, that's the, that's the U2 blow-up record. Yeah. Everyone's going there to hear... New Year's Day. <laughs> yeah. And like touring with B-52s, you're already interested in a weirdo band if you're like going to see the B-52s in the early 80s because this is pre-Love Shack, you know, uh, Mission to Burma, you got a like, a like band, Gang of Four like band. R.E.M., you have locals, Talking Heads, you have, by the time they were touring with Talking Heads, they hadn't quite done the pop thing again. Like, they hadn't come back around. So, like, it still works for them. U2's the one where you're like, ooh, this doesn't match. This doesn't work. It, I mean, it does. It does. If you listen to the music. Right. It's- it totally makes sense. If you, Because you can listen to U2 and you can go, ah, there's that police. There's that 
yeah. wire. There's, you know, you can make the same connections, but audience wise, commercial, you know, commercially speaking, no. And so the, the tour wasn't well received. They had already started to feel like it, this isn't fun anymore. Uh, this feels like we're running a business more than anything at this point. And so then they decided to call it quits in 83, which again, what's more punk than that? Just being like, yeah, it stopped being fun. And that was like their rule in the beginning. And they all kind of agreed it wasn't fun anymore. So they were just like done. It definitely helps that they didn't, you know, they didn't have significant commercial success to be Mm -hmm. like, to go to anyone's head and be like, no, I need to keep doing this to to buy my house. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what's weird about them is like they had, none of them had been in any bands before. Most of them didn't do much with other bands until at least like the nineties. You know, they didn't really they didn't break pylon up and start new bands. Yeah. They like did pylon. They were like, all right, we're through. Then in like 87, REM is like somebody called REM like the greatest rock band in America. And REM was like, no, we're not. Pylon is like they name checked pylon and we're like, pylon is the best American rock band. Yeah. Um, pylon wound up reuniting in 89. They did a new record. Then they would do that thing off and on where they would just play festivals do little short little stints little you know nothing super substantial then in 2009 you mentioned earlier randy Bewley passed away uh it said a heart attack while he was driving his car it's like mm. he had the the macho man unfortunately um and so vanessa said pylon died the day that randy died and she interestingly has started a new project it's um it's a cover band it's uh let's see if i can pull up the name i didn't write it down for some reason she fronts the Pylon Reenactment Society. Yep, there it is. It's a tribute act featuring members of other Athens bands, the Glands and Casper and the Cookies, and they've they play shows. They and they've recorded an EP, and it's you know they did a seven inch. So it's yeah, it's like a different. It's a different thing because it's different people doing different stuff, and but they also play Pylon songs, which is interesting. That doesn't seem like a super serious project. Like it's just a thing. She was involved with the band Supercluster. Which Randy was in as well. Yeah. But again, like, they just, they weren't, like... Which was a pretty much just a band made up of other Athens bands. Yeah. They weren't... Those reunions aren't full-time bands. They're every time they did it, it was just, just for fun. So, like, they kind of maintained that, yeah, we did it for fun throughout the rest of their career without having to... They don't really brush. The closest brush with mainstream success is those tours with U2 and REM, but they didn't seem bothered that it didn't really take off. Like they were just cool with like doing whatever they wanted, which is again much more punk than I think than just like forcing it and being like we're gonna play it forever. Well, it's, <laughs> and, it has. I think it has more artistic integrity to be like we're doing this for the sake of expression, not because we need to keep making art to be to survive yeah to maintain whatever you know or yeah, echelon of yeah. living that i'm at you know my lifestyle i am stuck in so. or even even to maintain an ego yeah yeah because if the idea is to have fun it's not fun to constantly feed your ego <laughs> which is yeah I don't know. it's it's very i think they're a very inspiring band not in just the way, not in just the sounds that they made, but in the way that they made music. I think it's something to draw inspiration from, to not push so hard 
and kill a band even if you keep it going yeah yeah Yeah, you don't have like it's just the reanimated corpse of a band that's just going forever and ever yeah you don't hate each other (laughs) yeah yeah i get the feeling they did not hate each other and that's why they were able to like come back and play together all the time and play in each other's projects and do stuff together um i was looking at the 1988 reissue removes the song Driving School and replaces it with a song called Recent Title. I didn't listen to Recent Title. I listened to Driving School on the record and I go, oh, yeah, that's why you cut it. That's that one with that horrible buzzing throughout the whole song. It's like a bass thing or something. It's just like this awful noise that goes through the entire song. I bet the label's like, can we cut that? Because <laughs> it started the B-side. Yeah. <laughs> Which they put back for the re- like the later reissues, so it's on the Spotify version. Um, and then Pylon's most famous song is Crazy, which came off of Chomp. Um, probably because R.E.M. covered it. Yeah. So it kind of became the one that people checked out. Which, if you think about it, it's weird that R.E.M. covered it. Like, I get it because they were an Athens band, they wanted to cover it. But, like, Pylon and R.E.M. don't sound alike. No, but you can see that influence. Especially yeah. early REM. Yeah. But, yeah, a very different interpretation. Definitely going in very different directions musically. Uh, we should probably wrap up. Yeah. Um, I've run out of things to say anyway, so that's uh, this is a perfect point to wrap up. Um, yeah, overall, I, I think it was a it was a good choice. I, I didn't think I would get as much out of this record as I did, um, but they're an interesting band. I didn't know any much about them, so... Uh, was fun to dig on pylon and uh okay i think we will wrap the show up here and uh thank you everyone for listening uh check out our patreon all the links all that good stuff at punk lotto pod on pretty much everything give us a rating us on spotify or itunes uh or apple podcasts so uh, whatever that is we need some fresh ratings but uh thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next week